I'm Alex Higley. And I'm Lindsay Hunter. And, and I'm, I'm a writer. writer but... Welcome to I'm a Writer But. Today's guest is Matthew Vollmer. Matthew Vollmer is the author of two short story collections, Future Missionaries of America and Gateway to Paradise, as well as three collections of essays, Inscriptions for Headstones, Permanent Exhibit, and This World is Not Your Home, Essays, Stories, and Reports. He was the editor of a book of Uncommon Prayer, which collects invocations from over 60 acclaimed and emerging authors, and served as co-editor of Fakes, an anthology of pseudo-interviews, faux lectures, quasi-letters, found texts, and other fraudulent artifacts. His work has appeared in venues such as Paris Review, Glimmer Train, Plowshares, Tin House, Oxford American, The Sun, The Pushcart Prize Anthology, and Best American Essays. He teaches in the MFA program at Virginia Tech, where he is a professor of English. His next book, All of Us Together in the End, will be published by Hub City Press in April. This family memoir begins with the death of his mother from early-onset Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Soon after, flashing lights and floating orbs appear in the woods surrounding his family's home in rural North Carolina, where his widowed father lives. Formative memories of having been raised in the Seventh-day Adventist church resurge in Volmer's mind, hastening self-reexamination and reckoning. Welcome, Matthew. Welcome. Thank you. We're so excited to have you. I really, really, really loved your book. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that means a lot. Um, I tore through it. My father lives, um, in Brevard or actually outside of Brevard. Um, Oh really? In a community called Conesty Falls. Yeah. So also in Western North Carolina, um, yeah. on a mountain and, um, I called him and immediately was like, have you seen lights? <laughs> 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 tell me, tell me if you've seen lights. And he was like, no, I really haven't. He asked me if I knew about the the blue ghost fireflies, which I'm sure you've heard of or even seen. Yeah. Um, I said, no, I don't think it's that, but you know, do you open your window at night? And he was like, no, (laughs) but now he's very interested. Um, and you know, maybe he'll start seeing the lights. Well, yeah. I mean, they, you know, in the book, I, one of the first things I did was put, uh, North Carolina ghost lights into, uh, Amazon to, to see if there were any, any kind of books that were like, and, and that's the literal title that popped up North Carolina oh, wow. sites. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is, it is very strange. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. And, um, my dad and my mom met at BYU. Um, so he's also of the sort of religion of absolutes, you know? Oh Yeah. And but is no longer Mormon, um, and is as someone I think of as who's often questing and and journeying to learn more about himself and about the universe. Um, and so it reminded me again of your book, sort of this, you know, the absolutes and the mystery playing off each other throughout. Right. Um, will you read to us a little bit? Sure, I'll I'll read from the first few pages. On January twenty. 2020, the first case of coronavirus was detected in the United States. On this day, however, the word coronavirus was not trending on Twitter. Neither was COVID-19 or quarantine or pandemic. What terms were trending? 
curb your enthusiasm and Venus Williams and Warren Klobuchar and Australian Open and Hawaii shooting and Liverpool versus Man United and Jennifer Aniston. The words coronavirus and or COVID-19 did not appear on the front page of the New York Times, which instead offered stories about an Angolan interpreter who had built a shell empire, a story about the phenomenon of vanishing Native American women and the president's impeachment trial. Very few people in the United States, it seemed, were talking about the virus. Nobody I knew had been, neither had I. When I hadn't been designing assignments for my spring graduate course, or trying to ride a read or riding my bike or planning my family's evening meals. I've been talking to anybody who would listen about the lights that had been appearing after dark in the woods where my father lived, a stone's throw from our family cemetery, on hundred acres of wilderness bordering national forests in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Nobody knew what to make of them. One month before, on December 21, 2019, the longest night of the year, I was taking a post-sunset walk following an asphalt trail that meandered through the nearby municipal golf course adjacent to my neighborhood toward the top of a hill that happened to be the highest point in the town of Blacksburg, Virginia, a spot that allowed visitors to view during daylight hours the icons of our little town, the football stadium, the turret of the colossal administration building, the coal plant, the futuristic-looking art center, and distant mountain ridges. My wife and son also enjoyed this view, but I usually took these walks alone to clear my head after a long day of teaching and reading and writing, or simply to get some fresh air. Hours earlier, I had attended a Virginia Tech basketball game with my friend Robert and his 13-year-old son Felix, the latter of whom had floated an idea he'd heard a YouTuber endorse that as the Mayan, Mayans had predicted, the universe had ended in 2012. We were now living in a simulation, which explained why everything these days seems so messed up. Admittedly, this was an intriguing theory to consider as I walked through the longest night of the year, which so far happened to be moonless. A smattering of stars appeared in the sky, clotted here and there with tufts of cloud drifting low enough to reflect the pinkish lights of the town center and the Virginia Tech campus. So convincing, I thought to myself. I meant the reality of it all, like what I was seeing. It all seemed so believable. As had become my habit on these random walks of mine, I decided to call my father for the previous three months since my mother had died, he'd been living by himself on a remote piece of property in the mountains of southwestern North Carolina in the brick house that he and mom had moved into when I was 16. I'd often imagined, though, he'd claimed this was not the case, that he might be lonely. Hello, he said. Hey, I said. What am I interrupting? That was his line, the one he used whenever he called me. Well, he replied, I've been meaning to tell you some weird stuff's been happening. Matthew, I wanted to start with a question about structure. Um, I was so interested at the places in the book where the lights and your own search for understanding related to the lights tied in with your father's would reappear and how the rest of the meat of the book 
existed in between. And I was wondering if it was difficult for you while drafting to determine how much of that material, the lights material was to make its way into the manuscript and how much of the rest of the book should be there, that kind of balancing act you're doing throughout the book. Well, so what was interesting is that I I had been attempting to, um, and I just saw, God damn it, the Duke beat North Carolina. Oh, Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) I know that's hard. uh, It's okay. (laughs) we've got next year um no but i had been trying to write a a memoir of my time in in the adventist church and in my adventist family um for some years Mm. uh for many years and i i had literally delivered um a a version of that book to my agent a few days before my mom died. Wow. And, and he, I I feel like one of the, one of the first things he said was like, nobody wants to read a, a memoir about grief or something. And I was like, well, isn't that what most of literature is? (laughs) Yeah. Also those, those memoirs do really well. I feel. Right. Well, I mean, whatever I, I, I don't want to throw him under the bus because I, I, I actually do love my agent uh, a lot and he's, he's been great and and very helpful, but, but the time, like I was um, after, you know, after she died, um, I had to, I, I knew she was going to die, but I didn't know how I was going to, I didn't know how I was going to feel after she died. I didn't know what was going to, and um, I certainly didn't know that there were gonna, there was going to be this weird like phenomenon that I'd have to deal with, and that was drawing me and my father closer uh, in the in the initial stages of this. I so so I had already written a lot of a lot of stuff about like growing up Adventist, mm-hmm. and um, I was kind of pilfering it as I was you know, writing this other thing, but I was, but this, I mean, once the lights showed up, it was a completely different book, completely differently structured because, you know, the unknown became the central part. Hmm. Um, And there's this, there is this quote in the beginning of the book from Karen Armstrong's The Case for God, where she she says she cites the the scientist Karl Popper that says the most profound thing that we can say as human beings is that we know nothing. And as someone who had had been raised to know everything mm-hmm. and to have an answer for everything, you know, a, a cult like that is is very um, is is very powerful mm-hmm. because it releases you from. I mean, if, if you, if, if you have to know everything, you're in a prison of knowing everything. And if you can be released from that prison and say that I don't have to know anything, it is, it is incredibly freeing. 
Um, and that is that is what happened as I was researching and and writing this book. But even before I, you know, my mother died, and I mean, I I was I, those, or I would say that uh, that spirit was very present in me in in terms of like being able to release what I what I could know for sure. Mm. so your agent says to you thank you but not this book and 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 what do you do you know like what what are the actions that you take with that manuscript at that point well i don't know that he he said i don't know if that's i mean it's that that was the feeling that i got but it was also like it was a very you know, it it came at the it came at the time of her death, right? And so um, I was also at the at the same time. It just happened to be teaching an overload, and my my teaching and what I was doing in my classes, I felt were very informed by what, um, strangely enough, by my mother. Mm. because i i was saying yes to people i was being i was being less critical i was i found that i was opening up um avenues for students to do things that that they that i maybe normally would have said no to um i i can't explain it other than to say that my mom died and i became more of my mom than before she was alive. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, I really believe that. Um, and um, I, I, like I shared, like, for instance, I was, I was teaching, a, I was teaching a creative nonfiction course and um, I shared with them the, I had, I had written my mom's eulogy before she had died because I knew she was going to die. You know I mean? You know, that, that's, and I, and as a writer, I don't know if you guys are the same way, but if you've, if, if people in your family know that you're a writer, they will call upon you to write eulogies. And I've written many of them. Um, but I knew that, but I wanted to write my mom's eulogy and I, and I had written it before she died months before, but I didn't know until she died. And I went to my parents' house and I was, I was in the, I was in uh, the downstairs living room where my father was snoring beside my mom's dead body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I could write something that was completely different than I'd expected. Um, and it just came pouring out. Um, and... And yeah, that's that's again. I, I I've I've forgotten I've forgotten the question because it's so it's so easy to get lost in in time when you're thinking about these things because they're you know um, you, you, they're your parents and mm-hmm. and you you don't know when they're gonna pass and and you don't know what you're gonna say about them until they actually have passed, mm-hmm. right? Like. I thought I knew what I was going to say about my mom 
for for months before she died and then and then when she actually died it was it was totally different because i was i was in a house where my father was sleeping beside her dead body mm-hmm. for the last time that yeah that's one of the most touching parts of the book is when he says well i suppose i'm going to sleep where i've been sleeping for the past 50 something years yeah exactly next to my wife had you written about your family extensively before i this is the first of your books that i've read matthew and you have such a gift for seeing your family um i i I loved reading about your family i I would read more about your family i was just wondering if this was the first time you had spent time doing that um well i i used to in the beginning i used to do it um in a way that was disguised Mm -hmm. (laughs) um like all of my fiction stories were were probably somehow related to my family um and you know, when I discovered creative nonfiction, I always thought of myself as a fiction writer because when I, you know, when I went to college and I first read Flannery O'Connor and um, other other writers that that seemed to be writing about the place where I was from, I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, like th- these people are seeing the people that I know and I can, I can write about these people too. Um but but no i i have i have written about my family in um every instance mm-hmm. um of of my books and um that it, that it <laughs> that has had various consequences um and as as anyone who reads all of us together in the end understands you know um, that that title comes from my mom, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. who who read, who who I actually I don't know that she ever read anything. She she probably just heard that I read something, and when I when I called her to to talk about it, she was like, "Well, I just want us all to be together in the end, which means mm-hmm. I want us all to be together in heaven, and for you not to have done something bad <laughs> that would prevent you <laughs> from going there." Um, which was, you know, painful to hear, but also understandable for someone who had, had grown up in the, in the denomination that she had and that I had. I feel like our families are not the right readers for our work. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I it's mean, painful for them. You're yeah. I mean, I mean, the, um, the book before this one, which was uh, a collection of essays and non-fictional stories, you know, my dad took. We we had a we had a long discussion about why he didn't like it and why he was. Um, he he didn't want people to read it, or or maybe oh not. Gosh. Maybe that wasn't it, but he he was he was uncomfortable with it. And during the same weekend, his brother who's older than him and who is actually a pastor called, called me and put me on speakerphone with him to say how much he appreciated my honesty oh, in, wow. in writing the book, which I found was, was really interesting because he had also been an English major at the same Adventist school that I had been in for a year and a half. And 
um, you know, it, everybody, everybody has different reactions. And I mean, I mean it, you know, if I, I suppose if my son were to write, a, you know, a biography of his time with me, I would probably find things to argue with, but <laughs> totally. But, and again, my, my dad's not a reader, you know, and, mm-hmm. and my uncle is, and there's, there's differences within that. Does anything ever feel off limits? To write? <laughs> uh, and, do you, yeah. and do you do it anyway? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I I mean, I feel like a lot of this book was off limits um, and I did it anyway. Um, what is that choice like for you? I feel like I, I think that's something that people struggle with is I really want to write about this thing, but it's going to, it's going to hurt or upset people in my life. You know, like what, what is that? What do you ultimately decide that helps you continue writing it? Well, I, I always think about whether it's a story that, that, that needs to be told. And if, if it needs to be told, however painful, um, could it help someone else to tell the story that they need to be told? Right. Like, um, I, I could, I could shrink like a, you know, and, and not, and not tell what I needed to tell. Um, but also I, I felt like it was my, my duty to my mother to tell what had happened to her and to also um, make peace with, with what had happened to her and um, I mean, it, 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 it's never, it's never easy and mm-hmm. it's, and it's never, I don't think it's ever the right or wrong thing. Like if someone told me like, you shouldn't have written this book and you, you did the wrong thing. I could probably, I could probably see their point, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at on the other end of the spectrum, it's like, I, I've already heard from people who were saying like, this is this is amazing. And I'm so glad that you wrote this because this allowed me to, you know, confront, confront things about my, my own lost loved ones that, you know, that I, that I hadn't been able to, to do. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I I think writing is being a writer is fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> i mean let's all let's just let's just acknowledge it i mean it's you have to deal with things that are that are not right and and you 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 also are going to do things that are messed up and you have to be able to acknowledge that but also you have to be able to expect that that making taking those risks are going to you know be a way to connect with with readers and people who have experienced similar things i mean Mm -hmm. i I, as a teacher i mean i feel like i've i've been getting better over the years as a teacher of creative writing and the weird thing is i feel like i'm also like a group therapist Mm -hmm. and and people will in my classes will talk about that you know before I even, I even say it, you know, it's, it's, and I think that that's probably 
good and also fucked up. I mean, <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing, right? Like, like, hey, come into this class where you can like, where I'm going to, you know, have you share about all your weird things that you've been experiencing, but also, you know, 90% of the time that's, I feel like that's healthy for people to do, you know, they, human beings need to tell their stories to each other Mm -hmm. and they need to tell them in all the fucked up, weird, ugly ways that they can. And, and they need to, they need to feel like they can do that as, as as weird as it is. And, um, I've tried to engineer my courses in such a way that, 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 that allows for that to happen. Was it difficult to begin working on another project after completing all of us together in the end, or was it, was it freeing to, to complete the manuscript, go through editing and tell this, this very personal uh, story to, to get it off your chest in a way, did it feel freeing or was it the kind of thing where it kind of stopped you for a little bit in your writing? Well, that's a great question because um, I feel like this was the culmination of a, Oh, I'm a fiction writer, but now I'm a nonfiction writer. And um, this is the, I mean, like, like I said, like this is the culmination of my nonfiction writing period. Mm. The thing that I, and I'm always trying to like, try to, I'm always trying to find a thing that will, that will be transgressive or that will be the thing that I, I would do that I didn't want to do. And I'll, I'll like try to force myself to do it as a writer. And, um, you know, after this, the thing that I thought about w- was to, try to write a novel Mm. because I, I have written two novels previously uh, that were not picked up by anyone. (laughs) And um, I had to deal with, I mean, those were like years long um, endeavors. Mm -hmm. And I, once I kind of, opened up to nonfiction. I was like, Oh, this is my, this is my jam. I'm going to do nonfiction, you know, like whatever. And I'm going to do like, I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to experiment with forms. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then I came like, after this book, I, I was like, well, maybe the most radical thing I could do would be to make like write a traditional novel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. a page turning like a page turning novel could i do that i mean is <laughs> am i allowed to do that <laughs> you know and it's and it was and it's been so fun to to attempt to do that especially with um especially with the like the content that i'm doing it with which is you know an a something i have in a sporting school which i i've tried to do before um but yeah i think i think like i'm i'm always looking for something that's gonna surprise me and weirdly right now the most traditional thing i could think to do 
which is to write a fictional novel. Um, I guess that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's what I'm doing. You rebel. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's so punk rock. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, putting it that way, putting it like, I'm going to write a page turner traditional, like, just a normal ass novel. It does feel <laughs> subversive in a way, right? Because I feel like mm-hmm. literary type people are trying to go in different directions sometimes. Um, so I don't know. I, I no, I mean, <laughs> I like so so like way. I just taught. Um, I just taught Gary L. Lutz's "The Sentence Is a Lonely Place," which mm-hmm. you know I'm sure has been taught mm-hmm. is being taught constantly in the MFA programs, but. Um, there's, there's something about what she says about being a, like trying to write a story that is a page turner and a page, a page holder or a page, Mm -hmm. right? Like, like, like something that you want to get past, but also wants what you want to linger on. That's Mm -hmm. what I want to do. I want to make something that is you want to, you want to find out what happens, but you also want to linger. You want to go back and linger on the sentences. You want to go back and linger on what has been said about, you know, what the story and you want to, you want to reread the story. You want to re-experience it. That shit is hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is, it is, it is hugely hard to do. Um, And, but you know, at at this point in my career, I'm 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 down. I'm down to clown. <laughs> hey, down to clown, Matthew Bulmer. Watch out. <laughs> you know what felt like new to me and kind of subversive to me was I, this is the first pandemic memoir that I've read. Um, you know, and like Alex and I have been doing this podcast since uh since the pandemic started, basically like the fall of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, we've talked to lots of writers who've said, you know, like, I don't feel like I can write about that yet, or I don't feel like there's a market for it, or I don't feel allowed to write about that. Did any of that come up for you when you were, you know, shaping this book? Um, I, I totally embraced it because it was, um, it just happened to be in my wheelhouse, you know, like I, I had come off, um, you know, despite the fact that I I had published a book that was the you know the year before this one, it was a, a collection of essays. The previous book was um uh, a collection of lyric essays, mm-hmm. which I was continuing to write lyric essays and publish them. And um, you know, there was to be to be alive in 2020 um was to experience uh a never-ending collage of material and and experiences and so i was just constantly writing you know i was i kept a quarantine diary mm-hmm. um where i was you know trying to trying to um, record all of the things that I saw 
whether it was in life, on a walk, listening to Alan Watts, or, you know, looking at something on TikTok, or, you know, whatever it was, I was, I was really paying, it, it made me pay attention, because I knew that this was a weird thing we were going through. And I was paying attention to my own weird things where I was wiping down my groceries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I, we didn't know, we didn't fucking know anything nope. was going on. And and so I, I thought that that was, you know, as a writer, I thought, well, that's, that's something I should, I should be taking stock of, but it was also interrupting my story that I wanted to follow about my dad and the lights and my mom and the lights and whatever. Um, and uh, it turned out that it was, it was part of that. Um, I, I mean, I'm always interested in collage and I'm always interested in like fragments. And um, so like asking, you know, like interviewing people who I thought would be interested in the light situation or that had experienced, you know, some sort of, you know, after like, like Chera in the book, like her mom had died and, and she thought that she experienced her after she died. Mm-hmm. I was I want to, I want to know about that. You know, I want to, I want to hear about it. And and trying to put all those things together and make sense of them or, or make nonsense of them, you know, was, was really important to me. I I was a little bit surprised how, how much the pandemic material um, just felt completely normal to read. Mm-hmm. I mean, did not, it was not jarring at all for, to read. And I, I but there was a time when it would have felt that way, right? Like there was a time when maybe we were still too th- in the thick of it, right? Where it, I don't know, like, where don't we know. didn't know how it was going to turn out or something. Sure. Yeah. I, I honestly don't know, Lindsay. I mean, I think the only other, I think the only other book that we've done on the show that like directly dealt with it was that Lee Stein mm-hmm. collection. Um, but Her that poetry. was a really, yeah. yeah, a really different project. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it felt to me like um, it just fit. It worked. I, I think a lot of the anxiety that has been uh, discussed by so many writers <clears throat> um, on the show and elsewhere is just about, you know, including pandemic material or if it is too soon, I think a lot of it's, kind of ridiculous it's like <laughs> i mean yeah we lived through it it happened that's yeah. <laughs> i mean jesus christ what else do we have I mean, it happened yeah it's yeah. starting it's to pop up so, i mean rebecca right. mckay's new novel it's in there but it's not even it's just sort of like it you know and covid was happening so we had masks on and you know then the rest right. of the book goes on mm-hmm. sure I, I appreciate that absolutely but it was also like it was also so fucking weird, right? Like, oh yeah, there, there's so many weird idiosyncratic details that come out of people's, you know, experience of it and 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 dealing with it, and and I just felt like I had to include that because like everything in my life was totally fucked up and weird, 
you know, my mom died who shouldn't have died. And, and my dad was, I mean, it was just like a series of like unbelievable situations that were happening and I had to record them. And I was like, just trying to make sense of them. And all in, in every, all the other people in my family were the same way, but I was the person who could actually write it down, you know? So I, you know, from, from doing the eulogy, which was probably one, like reading my mom's eulogy to the people who were at the memorial was probably one of the most powerful writerly things that I've ever done in my life. Wow. I mean, just, just to be like, this is who my mom was. And I can say this because I have the words to say it. Mm-hmm. Also, like, I'm, I'm in charge of how you understand who my mom was, who was like one of the most magical people I've ever known. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just, it was so powerful. And it was, you know, I don't know. That's beautiful. Yeah. Has your dad seen the lights since the last thing that you oh, told that us? That is such a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, you know, there's an epilogue where mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the book where he and Jolene both see the, see the lights, but they have since, and well, I will say they, but it's, I I have to imagine it's it's mostly Jolene. They have <laughs> set up these LED lights that project onto the trees outside of their house huh. at night. So you can't actually look into the dark anymore. Oh my gosh. If, if you are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you if you were at their house and you were looking outside at night, you will see a billion a bazillion lights. <laughs> that, are, that are projected by these led light and my dad will say well at least there's no more whippoorwills oh my god because you know you didn't like the whippoorwills i i don't know if you've ever had to listen to them but they <laughs> make you go insane <laughs> um, and, and that is the only thing that i will i will say that is positive about the situation um so did they do that so that they there would be no more lights you tell me (laughs) that is such a sicko move (laughs) i mean that is just like that is so fucking sad and hilarious just amazing well now like mimi is probably like honestly honestly i i i i it is i mean it's hyper perplexing in terms of my my father but uh, he has done a number of things, you know, that I don't understand um, and that I couldn't understand unless I've lost my own spouse and sure. marry and give them whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, but, but I would, I would say that um, that has been one of the most perplexing parts of this situation but, i mean if you read the book you you realize that like the lights are are more scary to my dad than they are to me right right, right. he believes they're evil right yeah yeah he, i mean, well, he, I mean he has 
I don't know if that's his his final <laughs> if that's his <laughs> final Jeopardy you know answer, but but he definitely did at some point. He was like, you know, I don't I don't like this. Right, this bothers me. Right. Um, whereas I, when I saw them, I was, I was, um, I was quite. I don't know. I, I liked it. I, I loved it. I thought it was. Wonderful. I mean, you shared them with everyone. You shared them with everyone in the book and you wrote the book. I mean, right. <laughs> you, you were bringing. Yeah. I mean, you, you brought them to so many people, so many readers as well. I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of amazing the difference in, uh, in responses. Well, I mean, when, when you're locked into, I, I, you know, it, it, at one point I say in the book, like, you know, my dad and I are waiting to see the lights um, from the, it, we, we turn all the lights out in the house and we're looking out of the um, bedroom or the, like the living room windows and we're, we're waiting to see them. And it's the first time that I've ever been with my father in the situation where he didn't know what was going on mm-hmm. or he would, he would, he would have admitted to that. Right. Like I had grown up in a denomination um where we had answers for everything there was there was nothing that we didn't have an answer for and to be standing with him at the precipice of unknowing was one of the most exciting things that i've ever experienced because wow. you know it was it was like me and my dad were in the same place you know like mm-hmm. we both missed my mom and we were sitting there watching whatever would happen. And he hadn't at that at, at that time told me that, you know, that he was scared of it or whatever. It was, it was just a, it was us as a family standing at that edge and acknowledging that we didn't know what was going to happen. And it was so, I mean, that's a weird thing to say, right? Like to, <laughs> um, to acknowledge that that not knowing would be something that could be comforting mm. um but but if you come from a, a a situation um like that that's that's how you you know i have to ask you because you mentioned this in your acknowledgments you mentioned lee klein oh yeah and he came up with a title that you didn't use yeah what, what was it it was the meaning of light. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it is good. And uh, I do use it as a section title. That's true. Yes. Um, but uh, I I felt like I needed to use my mom's. Of course. Um, my mom's quote, because that is what that is what it's been before even it was this version of things like it was, it was uh, that just haunted me more than anything. Yeah. Partly because, you know, my mom was always a happy, delightful person. And the only, and one of the only times that I'd heard her cry was when she thought that, you know, because I wasn't going to be a person in her church that, that I would also be not in heaven with her. Right. And, and that was what she was most, you know, 
occupied by. But now you've given it to her in the form of this book. Yes. Yes. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. We did it. Yes, we did. Britt uh, recorded me snoring a few nights ago and played it for me. Oh. It was uh, horrifying. Oh. Yeah. And then uh, after she played it and I, I said something similar, I think I said the word horrifying. She said. Snorifying? No, no. She goes, that's not even close to the worst of it. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> Oh my oh, gosh. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, Ben snores, but I don't even think he snores that loud. I think I just like I I I'm, I'm too light of a sleeper after mm-hmm. having three children, you know, like you're always mm-hmm. listening for them. Right. So, like it's not even that he snores that loud, but one thing he does is that his feet flutter. <laughs> 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 I don't know what's going on. It's like his little <sighs> feet are down there going like <sighs> And it like moves the whole bed and, and his feet don't do that in, in waking life. What about when like, he's flying? Yeah, I know. It's like, we watched um, Black Panther 2 and like one of the characters uh, has wings on his feet. Okay. And when, and when he flies with his feet <laughs> wings, they just go like, and that's, <laughs> that's, what Ben's, that's what Ben's feet do. Oh man. So I'd be I like, honey, it. honey, honey, you're doing the feet thing. <laughs> Anyway, it's, it's oh hard out God. here, okay? Yeah, it is. I saw women talking today. Oh, cool. And Ben goes, oh, I'm going to go see men punching. <laughs> <laughs> um, But it was really hard not to weep the whole time. And I've read mm-hmm. the book, mm-hmm. but I guess I had put some of that out of my mind. Anyway, it was excellent. It was so good. It was exactly as I pictured it. Wow. And um, I, I I had a hard time conceiving how you could make that book into a movie, but yeah, they did it. That's funny. It was I'm, wonderful. I'm rereading Miriam Tay's right now. Which um, one? All my puny sorrows. Oh come on! Oh my god! What Amazing. a book! Holy shit! Did you see that her daughter's a writer too? I actually didn't. No. Yeah. Um. Chelsea Beaker interviewed Miriam Tay's at the Portland event for I guess her paperback for Fight Night. Uh huh. And then Miriam sent her her daughter's book. Whoa. I know. And the other thing is I'm reading Age of Vice and it's excellent. That's it. We, that's awesome. I'm reading Topeka School as well. Oh, Did I've never read, read that? that. No, the Ben Lerner book. Yeah, I'd never read Ben Lerner. Um, and I'm really enjoying it so far. I don't know what I expected, but it's not what I expected. Yeah, I I've never read him either. It's uh yeah, it's kind of incredible so far. I'd you say like can the fr- read two books at once. I kind of prefer to do that. Yeah. Really? But I'm re I mean I'm rereading all my puny sorrows. So it's oh, like yeah. that's just like you know revisiting. Like, it's like the Recommend. purest pleasure, you know, like just like go back, reread something like that. But yeah, I don't know. Um I mean, don't you for the show and stuff? Aren't you always reading you're not reading more than one book at a time? No, I, I read them like I read one and then I, when I'm done with that, I read the next one. 
but I also, I'm not nearly as good as you at, uh, I will abandon books for any reason. Like I, I'll just stop at some point. If like, if, if I, I have no problem just stopping reading a book. I've gotten better at that, but I recently, I read some book. I'm glad I can't remember the title because I shouldn't even Mm -hmm. say it. And I made it like three quarters of the way through. Mm-hmm. And like pretty much hating it the whole time and thinking Ugh. like, but, but this is good for me. You know, like yeah. I, I see that this is like a different thing and it's good for me to read. And like, it's interesting in that way. And I finally, mm. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> did you this actually have that? Did you actually have those thoughts? Like this is like yeah. edifying. Well, yeah. I, cause I, I, uh, it had come, I think I remember it being recommended by someone I respect Mm-hmm. And so I was like trying to see it from that, from their eyes or from their like mm-hmm. brilliance. Mm-hmm. And um, God, I wish I like, knew. I wish you remembered what it was. Um, Lindsay, have a great week. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye, bud. See ya. I'm a writer, but is recorded by Alex Hickley and me, Lindsay Hunter, in our respective basements. Editing by Lindsay Hunter. Music by Max Loop.